Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legend Series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. Four men only have represented Australia in three sports. It's an exclusive club. What follows is the most amazing insight into the most amazing of lives. But who is Michael Cleary? Who is he? He's 81 years of age now. He was born on 30th of April 1940. This year I'm 81. And uh, what a wonderful childhood uh, growing up. Father was pretty well off. He uh, actually, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but at a very early age, he stuck it straight up my anus. So <laughs> he put me, brought me into the real world. We started Dover Heights, uh, renting a place, and then about 1944, he built a lovely place in Rodney Street, Dover Heights, which was right opposite the cliffs, right opposite the army camp. And we stayed there for. A, I think about 12 months, and then I finished up getting evicted because uh, when they put the blackouts on, I was sending SOS signals out the window. One dot, two dots, three dots, dash. And uh, the colonel said to Dad, uh, you're out. And Dad, you can't do that to me. He said, I'm going to go to my local member. He went to his local member, and the local member came back to Dad and said, you better get out there as quick as you can. He said, those imbecile kids of yours are sending SOS signals out to sea. And the... Um, Submarines came into into Sydney and uh, we were put down to a house which was down away from the waterfront and uh, that's where we stayed until the war was open but I can still remember the submarines coming in and the bombs going off and all that sort of thing. But the funny thing about it, I was born with a few difficulties when I was a kid. I had two problems. One, I was ADD and the other was I was just dyslexic. In those days, they didn't have definitions for it because a slow learner was, was, was defined as a hyperactive person yep. or a dyslexic person was a slow learner. And uh, the other, other, other problem I had, I was hypoactive and they, they call that uh, hypoactive. That's what I was. I just started running when I was a young bloke. I used to run from Dover Heights to Bondi, from, from Bondi to uh, from Dover Heights to Vaucluse. I used to go down to Vaucluse bars when the... When the picnic was on the butcher's picnic, and I'd say my father was a butcher when he was actually a tailor, and I'd win all the foot races and we'd sit on the sleepers in those days and with my brother and we'd eat chips and peanuts and everything I, I, I did as far as the running was concerned. So then in 1946, I started at Christian Brothers Rose Bay, and then I moved to Waverley College in 1947. But there's a thing that happened in 1948, early 1948, as a school assembly, and the brother Lacey was the headmaster then. He brought back to the college a fellow by the name of Morris Carotta, who'd been just been selected in the 1948 Olympics. And he gave him a presentation of a travelling bag and a, a travelling rug and a Gladstone bag. 
And I remember standing on the tennis courts, which is now the swimming pool at Waverley College. And I looked up and I said, gee, that's nice. I'd like to do that one day. And I think that's what spurred me on. But uh, that's as far as the memory goes back. And then I started at Waverley College and I repeated a number of classes because of my, my problems. But every time I repeated, I finished up getting double digits when I passed because the repeating, because being dyslexic, you had a good memory. I, did, I couldn't read too well, but I had a good memory. And I did well until sixth class, until 13 years of age. They couldn't beat me. They couldn't do, beat me at anything. I could play golf. I could fight. I could run. I could play tennis. I was in the first, uh, the junior first 15 and then 11. And then it all vanished. Everything just left me, just went, just left. I thought, what's devil's, what's wrong with me? And what happened was that I didn't grow. I was so small at 13 or 12 or 13 years of age that when you'd finish a race, we were only 75 yards in those days. I used to run under the tape. That's how small I was. We were ready for, for chest height. Wow. So from 13 till 16 and a half, I could not even get in a relay side. I couldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, I started to grow. My mother said to me, Oh, you'll be right, love. So she said, I've never seen a, a small man with big feet. He'd take a size 10. So she was right. So at 16 and a half, I went in a, in a 100 yard race and did a 10.6. I thought, gee, that was good. Yes. And then on the 17th of March, 17 years of age, a Cardinals Cup at the Sydney Sports Ground. Cardinals Cup, big all Catholic schools. And I ran a 9.8. It all came back. Came back as quick as it left. Well, it was quick. It took a few years, but it, yeah. but it came back. And from there, I just I could. I was in the. I was the first fifteen again. First eleven. Boxing champion. Relay champion. Handball champion. Anything. I, anything I took on with sport, I could do and I could handle. I wasn't too good at the scholastic league. I only got four Bs for the leaving. I think I got the four Bs for turning up, really. That's about all. <laughs> but uh, that was, a, that was a part, the part of the life. And then when I, when I left school, I got expelled, actually. I didn't leave. I got expelled because, you know, three mates of mine, we put a communist flag up the top of the, the school tower. And uh, what happened was that I used to go up there to do my study with the boarders, the, the night boarders. I'd get up there at 7 o'clock at night and come home at 9 o'clock. So the night before we organised the flag, I got up and changed the lock on the tower, put my own lock on it. At 10 o'clock the next day, up I went, pulled up this big communist flag, and the poor old brothers, they couldn't get it down. They were petrified. They couldn't, they couldn't get in because I had the key. So one brother took offence. It was Brother Spillane. I'll never forget it. And he thought it was an insult to our religion. We didn't even know anything about Insulted religion, we thought we were just having a bit of fun. So Brother O'Connor was then the headmaster, and Brother O'Connor came in and said, unless the person who did what has just happened owns up, the whole school will not do the leaving certificate. I can't do that. So I put my hand up and I said, Brother, I did it. He said, right, well, you're out. And uh, I went home to Dad and said, I've just got expelled. He said, what for? And I told him, he said, well, it's not... Not all your fault. I said, no, it's not. I said, the three of us involved. I said, uh, three mothers, actually. My mother wasn't involved but because I had the key of the padlock, but one, one of the other boys' mothers died the sheet. 
the other other mother throw the hammer and sickle on it. So uh, Dad went up to Brother O'Connor and said, "Now listen, he's not taking the rap. It's two others. If he goes, they all they all go." And Brother O'Connor said, "Oh, all right. We'll let him do his leaving, but he will not get his prizes. He won't get the Corbett Cup, Captain of Athletics, Earth 15, all the trophies." were presented by the Cardinal, Cardinal Gilroy at the time. He said that he will not go on stage and get his cups. And Dad said, oh, that's fine. So in any case, the last day of school, <laughs> Brother O'Connor called me down and handed me a thing, a big, big Corbett Cup, which is the Sportsman of the Year and all the athletic ones. And oh, uh, I finished up going over to Waverley Park with my push bike carrying these cups. I don't know how I made it. But I, I've got them home. I've got them downstairs in the garage where I live here now. Wow. So then I thought, well, what am I going to do? I said, I'm going to try for the Rome Olympics. That'll be my, my go. I'll have a go at that. So, oh, they were in 1960. This is, this is 1958. Yeah. I've left. So I was end of 58, nearly under 1959. So I started training and just running at the ES Marks and forming okay. And then some, I got a problem of some sort. I don't know what it was. I... Left my old man's shop. I used to work for him. He gave me twelve pound ten a week and took ten percent out for board. And uh, I said, "Dad, it's not enough money. I need to get some more money." He said, "Well, get off your bum and go and get yourself a good job." So I went down to a firm called Colonial Sales, who sold Arrow shirts, and I got a job at there at twenty three quid a week. And I was working all the North North Shore and also uh, Wollongong and uh, the city areas. So I started with them. At, I found myself when I was driving around in their car, the company car, that uh, I go to Parramatta at David Jones for argument's sake, I'd park in the, in the car park and I'd fall asleep. Any elite athlete will tell you it takes more than just being physically fit to be at your best. And our friends at Galaxy Finance can have you at the top of your financial game. From home loans to investments and self-managed super funds, they provide complete solutions. Call Galaxy Finance on 1300 917740 and mention you heard it on Andy Raymond Unfiltered to get an obligation-free chat to see how Galaxy Finance can assist you. When the running started to go off, I wasn't performing too well and... I said to Dad again, I said, what am I going to do? He said, we better go and see this doctor, a doctor in Macquarie Street. So I went and saw him and he said, well, I don't know really what's wrong with you. He said, but he said, give this, give this pill, this pill I'm giving you. He said, take it an hour before you're going to run, will you? I said, okay. So it took the pill. I went back to see him the week later and he said, how'd you go? I said, no, good. He said, I said didn't the pill work? He said, I said, no, it didn't. What, what, what was it? He said it was Benzedrine. I was very lucky they didn't do the, yeah. the, the tests in those days, so uh, it had no effect on me. He said, you've got glandular fever, and that's what I had, a glandular fever. So for nine months, I couldn't, again, couldn't do anything. I just couldn't perform. It was during that period that Wally Maher and um, Cyril Towers, two great rugby or stalwarts, uh, came into Dad and Father's shop at Bondi Junction and said, uh, would Michael come down and play for Ramwick? Dad said, I don't know, I'll ask him. So Dad said, do you want to come down and play for Ramwick? I said, oh, yeah, I can't do anything else. I can't run, so I'll go down and play for Ramwick. I'll probably get to third grade. Well, that year I got into first grade. 
I got 49 tries that year. I still hold a record down there for seven tries in one game. That was Ramwick against uh, Eastwood. I missed the Rome Olympics. I got the Scandinavian fever. The only thing wrong with it was they had a match race at the AJC, Ramwick, to raise funds for the people going to the Rome Olympics. Jim McCann and Dennis Tipping and uh, a couple of other folks that I can't remember their names at this yep. stage. The gun went. I won it. Oh, it was too late to be selected because they'd already selected the team, so I missed the Rome Olympics. I finished up playing with Randwick Rugby Union. You won the premiership that year in Won 59. the premiership, won the premiership, and then then I finished up getting selected to play against Fiji. Yep. And then against France. Went to South Africa with a rugby side, 1961. What a tour that was. Dear, oh dear, we were. Mike, do you consider yourself an athlete that played footy or a footy player who also enjoyed athletics? A bit of both. I, I, okay. I, athletics was, was, was actually my main, my main event. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed that very much. Um, rugby, rugby Union just came, came with athletics because they stuck me on the wing and they fed me the ball and I just, just ran with it. Sports to me was, was very important. I just couldn't think of anything else. I did ever, even when I played tennis or the handball mm. or anything, I just anything to do with sport I could do. It was at that time when I, was, when I lost my, uh, my speed when I was 13, I can remember lining up for uh, gymnastics that day, not gymnastics, uh, PE teaching. Yep. And uh, we was playing chasings, and this, this fellow broke away. And I chased him. I couldn't catch him. He was a big, tall fella. I remember his name too. His name was Ronnie Blake. He was a policeman. Policeman at Bondi Police Station. I said, Gee, that's funny. I couldn't catch this bloke. And that was the start of the decline in athletics you know, and, uh-huh. and the sign that was given to me. So when I went to went away from <clears throat> with uh, to South Africa, we had to go to Adelaide and then we had to go to Western Australia and play there. We had Ocas Island, Mauritius, and then South Africa. We got off the plane. There's 4,000 people. Airport just to greet, just to greet us. We, we were lucky to get to 700 at, uh, at, at Coogee Oval. It's amazing. The 1961 tour, the captain coach was the legendary Kenny Catchpole. Yes. In the side, amongst others, the Thornett brothers, Dick and John, yes. Jimmy Lenahan, yes. Tony Miller, John yeah. White. What a side. What a, what a side. side yeah. Oh, you know, we still have reunions down again for old John Thornett. He's gone and Dick's yep. gone too. and. And uh, all those boys have got have left us now. They were aside. They were. We, we didn't win. We didn't win. We didn't realise that Joburg was six and a half thousand feet above sea level. You know, yep. we couldn't breathe. And that was our first game. I remember. I remember broke away there, and I got I got caught from behind. I thought, what's going on here? And then we had the last test was down at Port Elizabeth. Well, I got a try down there because yes. it was down at sea level. But uh, the rest of the game at Vinduk, place called Vinduk, was the first game. And of course, they told, told us about apartheid and how you've got to be very careful about apartheid and all that sort of thing. And we got the old DC3 and flew up to a place called Vinduk, which is like the Northern Territory. Yeah. And it looked out the plane window, and the, and the only area of a patch of green was the rugby field. The rest, the rest was all desert. So we got on the field, and I get finished up. Catch ball says, Come, come, come down. You go stay blind, come with me, and I'll give you the ball. You'll score under the post. So, bang away, I got under the post, scored the try. On the way back, this coloured man, this 
Blackfellow, actually, they call them. They call them coloured. Now, if you've got a thimble full of tar, you're coloured. Yeah. And the coloured people used to sit at one end of the field, and all the Afrikaans used to have the other three sides. And they were, this bloke jumped the fence and came running over and said, "Please, sir, please, sir, beat them, beat them. Yes, please, sir, please, sir." And I said, "Well, we'll do our best." And during that incident, the policeman grabbed him and battened him and bludgeoned him, hit him over the head, and then he smashed him over the over the sideline. And Kenny Catchpole called us all together and said, "Come on, we mind our own business, sir." Mind our own business. And after the game was over, I said to the policeman, I said, what did you do that for? He said, man. He said, you go, that one fella came over that last try. The next try, he said, the whole 3,000 would have come over the line. So we had to bring a stop. I said, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't agree with it, but I'll cop it. Yeah. And that's the way we went. Of course, they had black, and white, black buses and white buses, and the black buses used to come every two weeks. I think the white ones came every half hour. Yeah, it's all changed now. It's all, Was I it went, scary? Oh. oh we were protected from it because the, blue, the green jumper, I mean, the, the green blazer we had being Australian, they, they, we didn't have to pay for anything. I mean, we got a, a dollar a day, 10 bob a day was our, was our salary, 10 bucks. But I sold um, four test tickets, and I think I got 100, 100 quid in those days. Each. Wow. That's the only man. And a lot, a, lot of, a lot of us, and I, I, I came back with some uh, Kruger Rands, that's a half ounce. Pure gold. Yeah. I think I only paid about 40, 40, 40, 40 quid, 80 bucks. Jeez. They were, they were six or seven hundred. It's pure gold. And some, some bought diamond. A lot of them bought diamonds over there. You could buy them cheap. You get, a, get one, one carat for about 300 quid, it's $600. A, it's a very different world to where you'd grown up and, and what you'd done in Australia, South Africa, for a young man on a a rugby tour. Oh, mate, it was unbelievable. It was after that tour when I came back. I mean, that's when uh, the rugby league sc- scouts came along. Yeah. And uh, uh, there, there was, there was uh, Canterbury, there was St. George and South. And uh, they rang Dad and Dad said, oh, they rang me and I said, oh, I don't think about it. Talk to my father. He did anything for me. And then I said, he said, well, look, if you want to talk to Michael, you come to my home. You don't go to, he doesn't go to your boardroom. Yep. You go to my home. The others wouldn't come. And Joe Maloney, to his credit, he came. And he sat in the lounge room there and he said, we'd like to, to come and play with South. He said, we've got a big winger, big, a big, big uh, centre there to look after you for Kevin Longbottom. He's a great big fellow look yeah. after you. They weren't doing too well in those days. And huh? he said, we've also signed Jimmy Lyle. Jimmy Lyle went to South Africa with us. And Dick Thornett then it turned to Parramatta. Yeah. He'd left to go to Parramatta. So I thought, well, I don't want to stay in rugby now. But what, else, what else is there? There's only a trip to England. And I, yep. I didn't, I know there was a trip to England with the rugby league in 63. So I said, well, look, the only problem I've got is I, I, I don't want any money. He said, you don't want what? I said, I don't want any money. I said, I miss the Rome Olympics and I, I want to go to the Commonwealth Games. And so Joe turned around and said, well, we don't have to pay any money then. I said, what? No one believes that, but that's the truth. They think my dad got the money, but dad did not get the money. So you actually played I for actually nothing? I actually played for nothing. I played for nothing. I think it was, he offered me a thousand quid, thousand quid and 40 pound a win, 20, 20 quid a draw, 10 pound a loss. That was, I said, I don't want any money. And I was so, so the amateur stage was, was so protective in those days that I won the Frank Hyde of the uh, Man of the Match award. It was a Seiko watch, which was 25 quid. I couldn't take the watch because the amateur status, the limit was 18 quid. 
$36. If I'd have yeah. taken the, the, the watch of $50, it would have been the end of the world. I, I must admit I did get the watch later on, but, uh, but I, I, I had to sign Satra declarations, which I did. And uh, away I went across to the Commonwealth Games in 62 after the, after the, after the football season. Because that was my first, my first year was, was playing for South in 62. We hope you're enjoying Michael Cleary, The Complete Package. Still to come in this amazing three-episode interview, the 1962 Commonwealth Games and the medal debacle, all in brawls at the SCG, and who was the greatest sledger? If you're enjoying Before You Go, we'd love a five-star rating and review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. We're giving away an unfiltered trucker's hat each week to the best review. Make sure you come back soon, legends. Legends.